everyone. It's me, Usher, the DJ of this podcast. Just kidding. It's me, Matt Rogers, as always. But honestly, if I do need a break, Usher, if you're looking for a gig, I know you know how to command attention with your voice and have everyone wrapped with pop culture news and opinions. Why? Well, because I just treated myself to a viewing of the seminal 90s teen classic, She's All That, streaming on HBO Max, baby, my darling dears. So all you jocks, art freaks, and teachers who are here for some reason attending the prom, sit your ass right down for this episode of the HBO Max Movie Club because we are doing a deep dive, hun, on this influential teen classic starring Freddie Prinze Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook, two three-name icons with one incredible chemistry. Directed by Robert Icegove and released on January 29th, 1999, She's All That is an adaptation of George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion, which was also the basis of My Fair Lady. These are rags-to-riches female ingenue stories that TBH are kind of problematic, and I did actually have a lot of feelings watching this movie, but you know what? There's good things about it, too. Like, for example, this cast. This cast is stacked. I mean, we have Rachel Lee Cook, as we said. Freddie Prince Jr., as we said. Academy Award winner Anna Paquin, have some respect. The late, great Paul Walker. Matthew Lillard, who I think is the hottest man in this film. Fight me about it. Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. I think everything she says in this movie is ADR. A very pre-succession Kieran Culkin slaying from childhood. Clea Duval, everyone. Milo Ventimiglia in a tiny little role. Blink if you miss it. He has no lines, but he is in the film. The late, great Alexis Arquette. Dulé Hill of the West Wing, honey. Usher, as I mentioned before. Gabrielle Union. And what I realized was actually Lil' Kim at 52 minutes and 34 seconds into this film. That is what I realized. That is Lil' Kim. She has gone through, let's just say, a transformation not unlike that of Lainey Boggs, but pretty unlike that of Lainey Boggs, to be honest. I mean, talk about a bunch of star discoveries. And there's even a little blink and you miss it cameo from the teen queen of the 90s herself. Of course, I am talking about Sarah Michelle Gellar, another three-named goddess, not to be confused with Jennifer Love Hewitt, yet another individual with three names who I hope is not hurt that I called SMG the teen queen of the 90s. Honestly, that would be a good battle. Who is the teen queen? I can hear all of you already arguing out loud passionately to yourself in your car, on the subway, pacing around your apartments. Seems like a topic that would truly garner some strong opinions. I'm going to go with SMG. But that's just me because she's Buffy, rhyming down. What am I, Usher? As we established at the top of the episode, no. This is not just the film that put Sixpence on the Richer's Kiss Me on the map forever and always. God, I have an instinct to sing that but don't want to get in trouble with legal. And it is not just the basis for Not Another Teen Movie, which is a bop, by the way. This is a bona fide teen classic, and it goes a little something like this. Zach Seiler played by Freddie Prince Jr., is Mr. Popular Perfect Jock and perhaps a sweetheart, but he's not going to let you see it at first, at his SoCal high school where the hallways are outside. Picture it. His girlfriend, Taylor, who's a total hottie but a little bitch, cheats on him with a reality TV star, Brock, who's from the real world. He's a very flatulent Puck-like contestant on the real world. Puck, if you know, you know. And so Freddie Prince Jr. and Taylor, they break up. 
Zach says to his buddy Dean, who's played by Paul Walker, who's actually hotter than Freddie Prinze, but it's not a plotline in the movie. It's just something I think. Anyway, Zach says to Dean, who's hotter than him, that Taylor is, look, she's replaceable, okay? You can replace her with any girl in the school. So Dean and Zach get into a bet that Zach can turn any girl in the school into prom queen in six weeks. Zach accepts the bet from Dean. Dean chooses, because he gets to pick any girl, Lainey Boggs, who's played by Rachel Lee Cook, who is an unpopular art nerd. She's just a total wreck. I mean, she has brown hair. And it's askew. And she wears glasses. And she wears overalls? What a mess. What a wreck. And then Zach goes, look, fat I can handle. But Lainey Boggs, again, I had feelings about this movie while I was watching it. So Zach tries to warm up to Lainey, expecting she'll take the bait, and she ignores him at first. But eventually, the two find some commonality between them where they thought there might have been none, and sparks start to fly as the two begin to change each other for the better. Will Lainey Boggs be hot the second she takes her glasses off? Will the bet come to light? Will it ultimately matter at all? I think you know the answer to all these questions. This movie was budgeted at approximately $10 million and made at the box office approximately $103 million. It debuted at number one at the BO in its first week of release and grossed $16.1 million that weekend, which was the Super Bowl opening weekend, by the way. $63.4 million of its gross came in the U.S., $39.8 million at international box office theaters, and Miramax spent about $18 million advertising to promote the film, way more than it cost. It was the last movie Gene Siskel reviewed before his death in February 1999, and he was positive about it, saying, Rachel Lee Cook as Lainey, the plain Jane object of the makeover, is forced to demonstrate the biggest emotional range as a character, and she is equal to the assignment. Stephen Holden of the New York Times praised Cook's performance as well, comparing her to Winona Ryder, high praise at the time. He said, unlike so many actors playing smart young people, she actually projects some intelligence along with a sly sense of comedy. In the 1999 Teen Choice Awards, the movie won Choice Male Actor for Freddie Prince Jr. and Choice Love Scene for Freddie Prince Jr. and Rachel Lee Cook. Very excited to welcome the second half of the Seek Treatment Podcast. Pat Regan is here to talk about She's All That and 90s teen movies right now. Okay, wow. First of all, we're absolutely joined by someone who is the opposite of vapor, of spam, opposite of a waste of good yearbook space. It's Pat Regan. Wow. Hell yeah. Oh my God. What a, amongst my best, you know, you, now you've given my two best in- introductions. That is up there. And then also um, you, when you introduced me, you know him from his upcoming projects was another, intro- is another introduction. <laughs> you know him from me. his upcoming projects. I mean, I wish there have been many. I wish there have been so many, so many that people have known me from. And they'll and they continue to know me from my upcoming projects. And they will continue to. I mean, I hope so. I mean, like, for speaking of projects, so in this film, she saw that, which I'm I'm assuming you're a big fan of. I picked you for this episode for that reason. 
Totally. Totally. Well, it was interesting because do you know, I w- when I um, was doing all the behind the scenes business bitch stuff for this episode, yeah. they were like, okay, so we'd either, <laughs> either she's got, oh, we we're going to do either she's all that or I know what you did last summer, but Matt doesn't like scary. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, Matt can handle scary, but I'm so glad that we did this because this was huge for me growing up in them. Yeah. But I hadn't watched it in years and it is crazy. Like even just seeing the orange and yellow in the Amazon um thing the orange and yellow in yes. the movie poster it just like shook me to my bones and then when i watched it, i assumed it would be like a like laugh at this stupid piece watch do you know what i mean but it's, yeah, a, it's an unbelievable movie it's an unbelievable movie i will say it takes a while to sort of shake off the trappings of the time. Like there is definitely a lot of like casual misogyny, casual suicide totally. humor, just some slight homophobia, just to sprinkle it in there. And then a- after I got over that, I was like, I can enjoy this. I can enjoy this. <laughs> totally. I guess I thought that felt more like, I mean, the suicide humor to me <laughs> felt like dark humor. And I was like, oh yeah, like a movie wouldn't do that today, but like in a bad way. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, it's a trapping of this. It's, a tra- it's actually a trapping of this time. Yeah, we're afraid now. We're too scared to go there. <laughs> well, those, okay, first of all, first of all, I was yeah. like, those two actresses, specifically the non-main one of the goth girls. Yes. Like, so there's the main goth girl and then her friend. Yeah, there's her Clea friend. Duvall, who's like a major actress. Uh, yes, yes. And... I always get her confused with um, the craft girl. Feruza Balk. Feruza Balk. I don't know anyone's <laughs> name. I don't know anyone's name. Well, all the names in this movie are fucking insane. Feruza yeah, Balk. Yes. Of this time, it was like Feruza Balk, Cleo Duvall. And then if you didn't have two yeah. names that were like kooky, you had to have three names yeah. that were normal, like Sarah Michelle Gellar or Jennifer Love yes. Hewitt or Freddie Hewitt. Prince Jr. Sarah Michelle Gellar was star of this movie. Uh, really? Blink and you miss it. I, I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was like, why couldn't we get her even a line? Like, I wonder if it was like a SAG thing, as we know. Since I was a young, young, young boy, I have pieced together scenarios in my head of why that happened, of why Sarah is in truly a tracking shot in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that, sh- I literally think what I decided on was like, Sarah was visiting Freddie on set. And she was like, they were hanging out and like the director almost jokingly was like, and I I remember thinking about the scenario when I was like 12, the director was like, Hey, Sarah, would you want to sit in on this? We need a pretty girl. The script calls for a pretty girl. Would you want to sit in? And And the other girl got COVID. (laughs) Another girl got COVID. The director was like, another girl got COVID. Would you you sit in as pretty girl number three? And she was like, sure, I'm I'm down to earth. And like, you know, she kind of got off on it a little because she was kind of like, this is going to be huge for fans because she was at the height at this point. She was Buffy at this point. She was was full on Buffy the Vampire slaying on this, on like not even the CW, the WB at the time. And probably, you know what teen girls said when she popped up on screen. They probably said some variation of, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Someone's, and you know what? The original girl who got COVID was like, that was supposed to be me. <laughs> I was supposed to have um, been that icon. And that original girl, Jennifer Love Hewitt. I was going to say Christina Aguilera. <laughs> Christina Aguilera. <laughs> um, now, listen, it was so formative for me. It was, you know, I was very, very, very attracted Towards to Freddie Prince Jr. Okay, because can I can I be honest with you? When I was watching this yeah. movie, I actually sort of was checking in with myself about why I wasn't yeah. getting it about Freddie Prince Jr. And then Pat, we actually have a segment on this podcast called Hot Takes. And one of them actually agreed with me and they said the following. Hold on one second, let me find this. Because oh, I was God. actually shook when I when I saw this. 
Okay, hot takes. This is what Abby N has come in and said. I cannot believe Freddie Prince Jr. was considered leading men material. How? And then in all caps, how? And I have to say, like, I wasn't responding to Freddie Prince Jr. in like that sort of horny way, which I think was intended. So for me, like Freddie Prince Jr. was a huge part of realizing I was gay. Really? Being being gay. I was I remember I think I forget if I watched this or I know what you did last first. But mm-hmm. I whichever one I watched first, I was like struck by him in this like really powerful way. And it's just kind of like a genesis qua it factor, which is one of those things that doesn't always it doesn't resonate with everyone. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. But there's also a certain object like for me, it's like that's how I feel about people like Jude Law. I'm I've been really public about not being attracted to Jude Law. Oh, I'm very attracted to Jude Law. I'm not. I, I some days I'm not even. Some days I wake up and I'm not even that attracted to Channing Tatum. What? You know what oh, I, mean? I feel every yeah. single day I wake up and I'm attracted to Channing Tatum, and I have to check in with myself every day to make sure that's still true. And every day I'm not worried about myself. Yes. So I'm worried. I'm checking in. I'm worried about myself, <laughs> and my family's really worried about me. Oh and no! And I have to tell. I have to tell them. You guys, let me fight my own battles. Like I will sort this thing out. You guys need yeah. to focus on yourselves. But Freddie Prince um, Jr. remains remains a horny thing for you. So yeah, he was so. And in this movie, it was just like I don't. I, I certain lines. I remember hearing them for the first time and like getting like shudders. And like for some reason, one of them was when he was talking to his dad, and he was like, "You never home. You pissed off half the time." <laughs> some reason when he yelled that at his dad when I was little I was like oh my god like that's really cool the way he's saying that and um, yeah. I also realized like I always wanted a yellow jeep wrangler which I realized was because of this movie yeah um well it's a huge flex for a straight guy to have a color that a color car yeah. like that like that's like I'm yeah. full straight like and you can tell because of my fucking bumblebee car Totally. It's like, I dare you to even insinuate I might be gay because it's not, the, it's simply not the case. It's a simply gay not the would case. not drive around in this car. He'd be too insecure. God damn it. Totally. So my story too around Freddie Prince Jr. is like, so he was, he, he really sexually excited me. Yeah. And he, and also like Buffy was huge for me. And so like Sarah yeah. Michelle was huge for me and I was her. And so like when they started dating, it was like, this is my fantasy that they're dating. You were and shipping then, very early. You were shipping. I was sh- from an early age, but then, yeah. you know, so I was really into Freddie Prince Jr. And I remember, you know, I had my, I had my one friend growing up, this one friend I had who we would like <laughs> walk around recess with and like talk about Buffy. And yeah. so I'm, and no one else, literally no one else spoke to us in the entire school. <laughs> and I remember, um, <laughs> and, and I, I, I remember during like a couple years after this, maybe like into my Freddie Prince journey, um, there was this movie that came out that was about, I don't remember what it was called, but I just know that Freddie Prince Jr. was in it. And the, the plot of the movie was that Freddie Prince Jr. actually lived in an apartment and across the street from his apartment, like an apartment filled with models lived. And yeah, yeah, they yeah, would yeah, spy yeah, yeah. on him. They would spy on him with binoculars. And so I never saw that movie, but I remember seeing the commercials for it. And I remember noting, like, because they would they showed him in the commercial, like, doing pull-ups shirtless. And I, by this point, I'd been, like, I'd been, like, conditioned by the world to, like, really focus in on, like, musculature. On, right. like, male, in males sexually. So like, Yeah, like your Mark Wahlbergs, etc. Totally. And so I was looking at, and even like your Ryan Phillippe's to use like Freddie's contemporary. Yeah. And so when I <laughs> saw him in that commercial for that movie doing those pull up shirtless, I remember thinking like, all he really has are ribs. He doesn't even really have a six pack, which I yeah. was like, had been taught was such a sexual thing. Yeah. I remember like being at an ice skating rink at a, um, 
for like ice skating day with my one friend and we were skating around <laughs> the rink not being spoken to by anyone else and I was like did you know like Freddie Prince <laughs> I remember saying Freddie Prince Jr. like doesn't really even have abs I noticed like he just has ribs, ribs. really and I said that and and ribs and then my friend said that's really gay to, to notice and say <laughs> and then I was like oh I and I just like remember and films, you like, shitting myself and you were like yeah, oh I my panicked. god not my one friend like running away <laughs> totally because of me like being slightly less attracted to Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr. Actually, in some in some ways can make you more gay, which is crazy. It was decidedly not yellow Jeep Wrangler behavior. The fact that you had exactly. said that at the ice skating rink. Yeah. So, so we have Freddie Prince Jr. sort of like teetering on the edge of attractive anyway for me. But then there's Paul Walker. And I love yeah. it. Like pretty much that they're like all like very, very, very positive that Freddie Prince Jr. is like the hottest guy in school. And Paul Walker is just sort yeah. of there playing second banana. I'm like, can someone look at this boy for even one half a second? Because he's the one. Totally. But for me, he wasn't the one. And like, I honestly, if it, if I were just watching this movie and Paul Walker was um, the lead and Freddie Prince was the second banana. I might walk away from that movie thinking I'm fully a heterosexual man because I'm not that I'm not attracted though. I see it and get it. And he has like the textbook, like these are hot beauty standard shape things. Yeah. I, for some reason he just doesn't have it for me. Well, you know what? I'm going to say this. I'm going to bravely say this about the late great Paul Walker is that yeah, he did yes. not, maybe it was at the time, maybe it was in general, he did not have that je ne sais quoi that Freddie Prince totally. Jr. has in this film. It's like, Freddie Prince Jr., while I'm like, you know, I don't necessarily get, you know, like how attractive he is, I do think at the time it was different because he does look like that one guy from O-Town. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, like, yeah. You, the, 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 yeah. the tall, dark, totally. and handsome one from O-Town, which to me at the time yeah. means it's a huge success for you looks-wise. If you look Look like a member of a popular boy band you're actually <laughs> totally. fine and you can lead a film he just had this way to make his hair stand up in a way that we were all trying to do we were all trying to accomplish like he really achieved it you have to imagine that whatever product he had like if it was like if we were living in a time of like we all could understand and know like a kardashian era of like these are all the products yeah. i use whatever products he was putting in his hair would be absolutely flying off the shelves because who wouldn't want that um i totally agree <laughs> i totally agree First of all, can I can I just say I wrote down it was 52 minutes and 34 seconds into this movie that I realized that was Lil Kim. I did not so, know that was Lil Kim until almost an hour into this film and I was like, "Oh my god, is that fucking Lil Kim?" Wait, so this is how long I was today years old when I <laughs> am finding out who Lil because like basically like when I was watching the film, when I was watching yeah. the piece, when I, the opening credits were happening and then like one of them said like Kim, quote, little Kimberly, quote, little Kim, yeah. whoever. And I was like, wait, who is little Kim in this? And then I kind of forgot about it. And I never checked back in to be like, wait, who is little Kim? Was she in the, the who was she? She was not Gabrielle Union, but the other friend. So yes. you know how Gabrielle yes. Union, I sort of iconically plays the friend that's like, actually, wait, I think I'm actually a good person. I'm going to be friends with the freaks, the fags, yeah. the weirdos, the queerdos. I'm actually going to switch Her? to the other side of the track and be friends with the outcasts, even though I am stunning. Totally. The 90s were obsessed with, like, her being in... First of all, she's an institution, and she is so talented, and she deserves so much. The Oscar award for not best comedic performance, but performance. Yeah, the Oscar award for best not not best comedic performance, but performance, that is the award. (laughs) General um, performance award. (laughs) 
She had a string where it was like all her character arcs were like beginning of the movie, like is a foot soldier to like white popular girl. Yeah. One third of the movie and like is like, wait, actually, I don't care about her anymore. And like, yeah, it's 10 nice. things I hated about you with this. And then, of course, yeah. she had her she had the film bring it on where she sort of got to at least do something a little bit different, which in her iconic totally. performance as Isis. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, I, and, you know, shame on me. I didn't know her character's name was Isis. Oh, I definitely never forgot. Also in that popular girls group is, I don't know the name of the actress, but like the friend who like doesn't get nice kind of, who stays yeah. loyal to Taylor Vaughn. Yeah, she's she, interesting. She's was someone and she actually was in the show Ryan Murphy's first ever breakthrough success WB's popular popular two seasons. yeah 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 and she played a girl named lily who because she had brown hair was actually unpopular and she <laughs> and that, and i thought to myself like in this world it's so it's just so arbitrary if you're like cast as like in the gorgeous like she was cast as like the ugly freak in literally the same styling everything about her identical but like in popular she, she like in that universe if you had brown hair it means you were automatically like ugly and a freak and you were in the unpopular loser group and but in this world you could have brown hair and still really slay taylor vaughn had like a very much brown hair and yet she still was the most popular girl in school by a country mile and so popular that even outside of the school she was able to nail down a real world <laughs> contestant which Julie, which unbelievable <laughs> contestant Unbelievable. Oh, contestant, I mean, a cast I, member. <laughs> I don't, but he does go on to say, it's, you know, I was watching this and I was having such a deep, deep appreciation for, like, how right they got, like, real world culture in a way. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't understand it at the time when I was still in it. Yeah. But, like, to be out of it. For, but the one, it was like, they were clearly mapping him on to Puck. Puck. Yeah, who who, which was interesting to me only because they go out of their way to say that he was on season two Los Angeles of Real World, which is a real season that Puck is not on. Puck is on season three San Francisco. So I was wondering what that choice was all about. And I would love to have a meeting with the creators and I would love to have a panel with the creators where he said, what was that choice it is about? It's going on my list of Hollywood people to contact as, as a result totally. of questions we have from this movie. But I did think <laughs> that the casting of Matthew Lillard, who I do believe is the hottest person in this movie. And I actually have, no, I, I deeply, I'm deeply sexually attracted to Matthew Lillard at the time and around this time, but he was good. Like puck casting. Totally. Totally. Like, he wouldn't necessarily expect... He he delivers a great... Everyone in this movie delivered a great performance. Right down to Culkin. Right down to Culkin. Oh, Culkin is absolutely killing it. Do you watch Succession? <sighs> of course. It's really yeah. important to me. That and show just is really to important know, to me. Just to know that he, since the beginning of time, was delivering great performances. Like, just to see... And you can see a little bit of Succession in this performance like he's totally. his he's very present he's very he's very right there you know what i mean like he's it's very lived wise in. He beyond a, his he years very lived in yes. he's very lived in performance for for one i do think this movie is like an amazing example of like this was a time where there was truly like a rat pack like yeah. in a way that there isn't always and we don't have that today and i'm gonna go ahead and blame instagram on that for reasons i can't explain yeah but like this was a time where like it was because it was the only time we could get our stars was in movies. So we wanted them to be in every movie. And yeah. so, like, these same eight 22-year-olds played every teenager for truly seven years. And it was, yeah. like, it's just because, like, it's just all of them are so, like, Lillard was in Scream um, with Nev Campbell, who's in Party of Five with Julia Love Hewitt, who's in I Know What You Did Last Summer with Freddie and um, Sarah. And who, Ryan Phillippe's in that one, Yeah. 
There was a deal with the devil being made, though, when you decide to play teenagers for about almost nearly a decade. It's like, then we can't see you grow up because you just totally. look older quicker. <laughs> totally, though, I'm going to say of all that whole generation, the only person to escape is really Reese. I know? was just going to say it's- Reese. And you want to know why? Why? It's because we saw her go to college. We saw her very successfully go to college in Legally Blonde. It's because we literally were were there with her for the transition. That is so true. That was such a transitional film. We supervised her. We we were her RA and we watched her grow into a gorgeous young woman who actually was really smart and able to take on cases. And also intuitive and sensitive and also unwilling to compromise. Yes, exactly. And that's why she was able to make a million, a million movies about books based on books. She's essentially the white Oprah. Hey, guys, I just want to tell you that I'm reading a new book and I think it'd be a great film. And then it's a film. It's it's really interesting. That must be. Like she must be actively trying to be the new white Oprah. Do you know what I mean? I think no, that she no is. one's that obsessed. I I'm an avid reader. I would not make that many books about movies about. At a certain point, like you I get be so like, eh, bored. I'm, I'm not, not going to do it. I'm not going to do a book this time. No. I'm going to just make a normal movie this time. You would say if you weren't having some agenda around making books popular. I think she just finds the good books. She knows she found Wild. She sort of found along with Nicole Kidman. They sort of Scooby Dooed it and found Big Little Lies, and they were able, were able totally. to make that a cultural phenomenon, which you can stream now on HBO via HBO Max. <laughs> Thank you so much, HBO Max <laughs> Movie Club. We also has TV shows, yeah. and really the two just they blend. You know what I mean? Totally. I saw the most well you know i saw the most incredible trailer for like whatever it's called like i like where the crawdads sings Sing, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, i know yeah. where the crawdags live <laughs> or whatever where it was like it was like recent it, we opened like this it was such a cool tra- it was such an amazing trailer because we opened on not person who's not in the movie reese sitting in a, a director's chair i don't believe she directed it she and she's like when i Read, read this book, book <laughs> i knew it had to be a movie yeah that's and the, the way that's the overpower and then she was like, and Taylor Swift, who wrote a song for the movie in this beautiful way. <laughs> I was like, this is, the fact that this is, the fact that Reese is sitting in a director's chair explaining to me that Taylor Swift does a song for this movie is that, I'm, I'm, remember, I'm in a movie theater. I'm, this is a trailer, like amongst other trailers where we're seeing scenes from the movies. It, it was, and we saw some scenes, but it was all under Reese's narration of like having yeah. read the book. Yeah. Which was interesting. <laughs> Reese giving her endorsement is so huge for white women across America. It's really <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Wait, but it's then really okay, so th- I have a couple other hot takes that I wanted to say because they speak to this real world thing. Tiana L. Hey, girl, says real world star in 1999 equals Bachelorette contestant in 2022. And I thought this was pretty apt. Like, it feels like the movies now are satirizing the Bachelor Bachelorette thing in a way that like Real totally. World was like speaking to the times at this time. Yeah, Melissa Beck, who was on Real World New Orleans and recently was on. New Orleans Homecoming really eloquently has spoken about the experience of being on the real world in 2000. And she points out that, like, you know, all the reality stars today are so easily able to monetize their fame. And and uh-huh. she was, like, being – she was, like, walking red carpets for, like, the MTV Movie Awards or whatever. But she was making zero dollars. Like, it's – like, they had to, like, give talks at colleges or something. It's so interesting. Reality <laughs> now versus reality then. But it was such a cool thing. And then also, like, I loved when they were, like, when he – 
was breaking up with Taylor Vaughn, and he was like, "Yeah, do you think I'm still gonna go out with you when I'm going on Real World All Star, uh, Road Rules All Stars?" <laughs> Road Rules All Stars. Road Rules All Stars was the name of the first season of what went on to become the challenge, which has now went on to become CBS's The Worldwide Challenge. It's crazy. Yeah, it's an institution, and now they get all the good uh, Survivor contestants now too. Like I, I noticed know. that there's a lot of crossover there as well. Yeah. But oh wait, so I wrote a few things down. I'll just let me just say first Go of ahead, all, I want to know what you think. Okay, I say I liked that Tyler's Taylor's entrance was um that she announcing that she had uh, <laughs> diet coat mouth, and then she's like, "Does anyone have gum?" And they're like, "Yes," <laughs> and they all hand her gum, and she eats all the pieces of gum, which I thought was so <laughs> cool. Taylor Vaughn kind of did slight, although I think all of her lines in the first half hour of this movie are ADR in a way that like really it's bumped cool. me. Yeah, I was what like, "What is the deal?" Even as a young child, I was like, what? "I was like, why is she animated or something like for her lines?" Sometimes yeah, she's like, all her lines are taking place like on a soundstage, like somewhere else, and it's very obvious. Yes, wait, and I also wrote down. But I must have deleted it or something, or maybe I didn't write it down. But I, I Googled, because there was a line I always wanted to know what it was, which is when she was talking about how she can easily run prom queen. And she was like, my mother was prom queen in 71. My cousin, prom queen in 82. And my, my sister, sister would have been prom queen, queen in 94 if it wasn't for that sham on the some, some, something. And I was like, what is that line? I looked it up, read the line, and still didn't understand what the fuck she meant by it. And... I, I don't I don't know I don't know I'm not remembering the line either but I okay. am remembering like just like her general obsession with prom queen like yeah. <laughs> was this a thing in your school were were, were people no. they, the active campaigns like I, I think maybe like this was not a thing in my school and I say this as I famously a prom king winner but I did not campaign um yeah there was not um first of all congratulations that's huge they simply just um, crowned it <laughs> <laughs> wait okay so this is line she's walking she has shopping bags and she goes okay i can win this thing in fluorescent lighting on the first day of my period and this is a and the reason i thought of it is because this is full adr and they don't even they don't even kind of like match up with her lip sync it's wild but she goes i can win this thing in fluorescent lighting on the first day of my period cloaked in tj maxx okay my mom was prom queen in 71 my cousin prom queen in 82 and my sister would have been prom queen in 94 if it wasn't for that scam on the Conway bed tour bus, okay? If it wasn't for that scandal on the Conway bed tour bus, okay, I am a goddamn legacy, all right? I don't know. Besides, Maybe this is like one of those things where it's like, and you have to be careful of this whenever you make like a topical cool kids teen yeah. movie. It's like, you can't make two specific niche references to the time because they go away, hun. People forget. And then there's going to be two early to mid-30s gay men talking about it on a podcast sponsored by HBO Max in 2022. And it's Absolutely going, roasting your ass because we don't get it. What a Conway bed tour bus was. Um, Wait. Here, here's another hot take, which I, I and I want to discuss this on with you because I feel that it's it, it's pertinent to our homosexuality. Dan C says, if you're straight, this is the Rachel Lee Cook movie you think of. If you're gay, it's Josie and the Pussycats. Agree or disagree? I mean, I, I actually do disagree with that. I mean, this to but I, I understand where he's coming from. And I saw but a straight person when they hear Rachel Lee Cook, it, it, that they don't feel anything. Do you know what I mean? A straight person hears Rachel Lee Cook. They sit, they say, God bless you. They think you sneezed, you know, like I, I think I celebrate. I think I think there's some kinds of gays who think of this and some kinds of gays who thinks of Josie and the Pussycats. I think that Josie and the Pussycats is like speaking to like a queer sensibility at the time and not everyone like and also that movie doesn't get talked about the way totally. that this movie gets talked about because this this movie She's All That was like aggressive 
aggressively attacking the mainstream. It was like, we have all your favorite stars. Yeah. Josie and the Pussycats was like, we have Parker Posey and Alan <laughs> Cumming. <laughs> yeah, truly. I, I, for me, um, Josie and the Pussycats is like, really t- is time stamped to 2001 because I remember it was <laughs> the spring that my grandma died and like, it was like emotional, oh. obviously for me and my cousins. And so we were like doing her wake and stuff. And obviously we had like, we didn't go into school when it was like the days of her wake and funeral. And then it was like a couple of days after we still hadn't gone to school. And then I remember it was like another day. And I said to my mom, I was like, can you, I wanted me and my cousins to go see Josie and the Pussycats in theaters. And my mom was like, you're going to school tomorrow. You're, you know what? You're over it. And you're going to school tomorrow. And I was like, okay, I'll go You're not going Saturday. to see that gay movie. Even she knew. She wasn't going to talk to you at recess. She wasn't. Literally. She was about literally. to ignore you at the ice skating rink. Your mom was going to skate away. Just like your I, one friend. Truly. Also like, okay. This, oh also, I, have, I have a note here. That I think we'll circle back to the Freddie Prince Jr. of it all in terms of like doing something for some people, but not doing something for other people. And when as soon as I during the art show scene, which I was looking forward to because that's a scene I haven't revisited in a in a very yeah, that was surreal. That was Magritte surreal. It's a hacky sack, hacky sack. Sooner or later, it has to drop. Yeah, yeah, it was bizarre. And um, but as soon as I saw his white polo shirt, I was transported, and I remember thinking that he it was hot, like so hot. Yeah, he it was like that was a time where straight guys were wearing like kind of baggy, almost sweatery shirts, and he was wearing like, yeah. Almost... And when someone came in with like a tight, crisp white shirt, it was like I want to know everything. Totally, totally. And so he was wearing that, and I was really transported. I also love that he got into Harvard, Yale, and Dartmouth, but has the fourth the fourth highest GPA in his own class that to me seems interesting but you know that this this was like a huge school i you know what i always whenever i was like a little kid watching these movies what always made me so pissed off and bring it on also is a culprit of this is high schools in california with hallways that are outside i was always so fucking jealous of this i'm like they get to walk outside to the next class the classroom is like you can walk out the door and you're outside Buffy too. They're yes. all shot the same. They're all shot the same one. They're all shot the same one. Buffy too. Very much. They're Buffy all shot too. in the same one. They, they use the same high school. <laughs> one person told me that one time. I don't remember who it was or when it was or where we were, but one time someone said that to me, and I. But I remember thinking back, and I was like, yeah, that that kind of makes sense to me if I think about them, because I'm like, they're, yeah, they're all that kind of Mediterranean architecture. They all have those like arches. Um, yeah, I just remember of- like 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 when they when the when the Bring It On movie was happening, and I was like I was like, where is this high school that this is happening? And they kept saying yeah. the Rancho Carne Toros, the Rancho oh, yeah. Carne Toros, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, I have to go to Rancho Carne now, which I believe is translated <laughs> to Meat Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, lol. They, um, yeah, Rancho they, Carne Toros! I don't need, I don't need, like, this movie to have been, I wish I could, I wish they, they had chosen not to set it in, even if they wanted it to be in Southern California, like, I didn't like that it turned out to be in literally LA, because, and I, because I found that it must be in LA, because when he was calling around to hotels, he called, like, the Beverly Hills Hilton, and I was like, oh, you're, yeah. I was like, oh, you're trying to tell me this is literally in L.A. I also wrote down, I thought there was really funny, like, teen writing in this, like, writing for teens, like, jokes that mm-hmm. I thought were so, I thought there had so many really funny jokes. I did write down that I thought they should have chosen one, um, they should have chosen one Ford joke. Because in the art, in the art house scene, 
one of the lines that I think is supposed to be a big laugh is when the one actor says, <laughs> my soul is a temple, my car is a Ford. And then in literally the next <laughs> scene, they're at, they're at the beach and um, <laughs> they're like, Pres- let's go to Preston's. His dad owns Harrison Ford. And she's like, the actor? And he's like, the car dealership. And I was like, oh, choose one Ford joke. I think that's if they're back-to-back scenes, especially, like someone should have been like, hey, which one do you think is funnier? We Let's not have two... F- Ford jokes back to back. And know? I have to say, we can agree, two professional comedy writers, both those jokes are soft and cuttable. So both thought, those jokes yeah. are soft and cuttable. <laughs> yeah, they both could have been cut, though, if you want to keep... This is what I would have said as a professional comedy writer. Celebrated all <laughs> over the and world stream, for my and writing And stream on hacks on HBO Max. And stream <laughs> hacks on HBO Max if you do feel so inclined. Um, <laughs> I would say... if I would say... I think we could cut either if we need some space... I do think if we want to keep one, the Harrison Ford one to me is like a little stronger, twenty percent stronger than the other one. Yeah, but I a don't little care stronger, to cut it. Yeah, and that's a right. I can't stress and also I because care. Harrison Ford is not a reference that we're going to lose to time. You know exactly. what I mean? Harrison Ford is a lasting reference. We know totally. him, and people of all ages, even the parents that bring their kids, are going to yeah. be like, "Oh yeah, I know that Harrison Ford. I, I recognize <laughs> totally. that as a joke." That- that moment, that joke was something that families could bond over. And I'm sure that joke saved a lot of families. And it made kids, it started conversations between kids and their parents. And I think that's really cool. Well, especially because it comes after the hacky sack uh, performance art, which is going to alienate some parents, I think. <laughs> so It's hacky like, sack. what is this? Why is it a thing? <laughs> I remember that so viscerally watching that the first time and being like this is weird but also this time i was struck by the amount because i never thought about like oh freddie prince jr it might be good at hacky sack they show several like truly three to four second long wide shots where it's just fully a different person doing hacky sack and it doesn't even yeah, yeah, really yeah. look like freddie it's it's like three to four feet taller than freddie prince jr it's like it's like yeah don't hold on the wide of this random guy doing hacky sack you know what i mean they wouldn't do no, that today. yeah um, there was simply there were simply things that eliminated the movie magic here, such as that wide shot of Freddie Prince Jr. doing a hacky sack, and of course Taylor Vaughn's absolutely atrocious, heinous ADR, <laughs> and did, the casual suicide humor. <laughs> Why did they do that? Why did they do that? I think because maybe she wasn't loud enough on set, or maybe was too loud on set. I don't know where yeah. her mic was placed. You know, it could have been a thing of just whoever was on sound that day on set just sort of fucked up, like and just didn't mic her correctly. I mean, yeah. there's so many things that we, knowing all the BTS of how movies and television are made, could really break this down. But the case <laughs> of why it? Taylor Vaughn is doing so much ADR may never be solved. <laughs> Taylor Vaughn is one of my favorite characters in literature, and she does. I, I she does. <laughs> um, she does play virtually, I can't just enough, the same exact character in another movie of this time that I cannot <laughs> remember for the life of me what it was called. The only thing I could remember is that um, a man, a, a guy in it wears a girl's shirt that's too tight for him as like a comedy moment. But I remember thinking right. it was really hot because it was like, it was a crap top, it was a girl's crap top on a guy. And I remember thinking it was really, really hot. And speaking of all this queer stuff, we have to do my segment on the podcast, which is called, But How Is It a Queer Narrative? Every movie that I bring on to this um, podcast for a clear critical observation, I look at through a queer lens because I am who I am and I have to find out how this movie is a queer narrative. They play a techno beat that they put in later and here's how this movie is a queer narrative. Here we go. Transformations. Spontaneous choreo. Taylor Vaughn. That could be a boy's name. Queer three names instead of two queer names. Hockey sack as art performance. People not being what they seem. Anna Paquin. 
in a featured bad role. Okay, that's how this movie is a queer narrative. Oh my god, I love Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin, she's giving you almost nothing, but in a way that really works. So when I I felt like a moment that illuminated Anna Paquin's because the whole movie, and I've always felt this about this movie. I've, I didn't have the words to articulate it as a young child, but I've always been like, there's just something I'm not getting about this this Anna Paquin character, and um, it, it illuminated it for me. I feel like when she ended up with like her like kind of loser friend, yeah, because yeah. I was like, oh, she's meant to be this part is meant to be like her his like mousy little sister who like you wouldn't look twice at her or something, but she's good at makeup, and I was like. But, but Anna Paquin, I think, is, is a gorgeous girl with a lot of star power. And the fact of the matter is, like, they probably send it to Anna Paquin's agent. And Anna Paquin was an Academy Award winner at the time. People forget this for the film The Piano. She literally Wait. won the Oscar Award for Best Supporting Actress oh for the God. film The Piano with Holly Hunter. Was that before after Rogue and X-Men? Way before. So she books all these things because she was an Academy Award winner. And so they probably were like, for this part, like, who are we going to get? Should we send it to Academy Award winner Anna Paquin? And Academy Award winner Anna Paquin was like, yeah, I'll do it. And they were like, oh, well, she's not really right for it, but she does have an Oscar. Put her in the movie. Yeah, imagine you when your Oscar, your next two movies are she's all that and and the um, early aughts like X Men films. That I thought she was an excellent rogue in X Men. I think iconic. I thought she was excellent too. I, she's very iconic of that role to me, um, and she redefined that role to me. She redefined and the role from also, the comics. When you said I have to bring this up because I feel like the choreo moment gets talked about so much in in this film. And well, everyone's doing it, joke. but Rachel Lee Cook, who's sort of doing this. Yeah. And the podcasts are a visual <laughs> medium, but she's sort of doing like a just raised yeah, arm doing, thing. She's doing like yeah, the, the, the elbow. What do you call that? It's very like, elbow forward. The elbows. But she looks amazing doing it, and I do think I was like the, this choreo is objectively amazing, yeah. and like I want to do this choreo one day, and so I stand by this choreo being in this film, and I will die on that hill, one hundred percent. But I do want to say that she is all that. This is a film that was formative. This is a film that has its problematic mm-hmm. nature, but I have to say, in revisiting it now, I've watched it now two or three times, I'm very happy to know that the cast pretty much all went on to great, huge careers. Yeah, they, they did, and they all deserved it. And 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 those who, in the film who are dead now, we... We, <laughs> we remember you. We celebrate. We remember you. And speaking of going on to great, huge careers, of course, you do, uh, as always, know my guest from his upcoming projects. Exactly. <laughs> and also, no, but for real, a writer on one of the best TV shows out there, and you can stream it on HBO Max, and that is called Hacks. Thank you so much. Yes, that is called Hacks. And congrats on all the Emmy nominations to you and your family there at the show. Thank you. You know what? I'll bring that back. I'll bring that back to them and I'll say, (laughs) you know, Matt Rogers really wished us all well. uh, Rooting for you guys. (laughs) And he's rooting for us actively. All right. Well, thank you, Pat Regan. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Come back in two weeks. We'll be talking about love and basketball. I'll play you. One game, one-on-one. For what? Your heart. Be sure to send in your hot takes on this movie and all things love story films to at HBO Max Movies on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates, and if you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed our show, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. 
HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. And today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody.